whenever somebody gets up in the pulpit consecutive weeks, they always try to learn something from the week before. So for those of you who were here last week, you remember I had a little bit of a problem with reading the text on the back slide. So I'm discussing this with my friend Lauren Claiborne, who also happens to be my eye doctor. And she gives me the advice that only you can expect from an eye doctor and you know that it's going to be good. She said, Chuck, use bigger font. So this morning, and I'm just kidding with her, this morning we're going to use bigger font. So hopefully I'm actually reading what's on the back of the board this morning. I appreciate Terry leading the songs regarding our friendship with Jesus. Because, you know, in this life, it's important for us to have friends. They're important for all people to have friends because obviously life is more fun, is it not? When we have friends that we can share things with, who we can talk to, who consider us important and we consider them important. Romans chapter 14, verses 7 and 8 tell us that for none of us liveth to himself and none dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. See, we as Christians don't just live for ourselves. We live, just as our Savior lived, to serve others. And when we're able to serve others, those who are close to us, it brings a sense of joy and a sense of satisfaction to our life. Now, when we talk about friends, there's obviously good things that we see in our friends or they wouldn't be our friends, right? If you go back and look at the Greek word for friends, it comes from the, the word philos, and it means a friend, someone dearly loved or prized in a close, personal way. Someone who is a trusted confidant, who's held dear in a close bond of personal affection. You see, friends satisfy needs that we have in our lives. You go back and look at Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it talks about the need that we have to share our joy and our happiness with someone. We have that need as human beings. We're also talk, we're told in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9, that we have a need for someone to cheer us in times of sadness. Do we have bad days? We all have bad days, do we not? And it brings comfort to us that we can go to somebody and talk to them about it. They can cheer us up and help us get past whatever was our troubles. We're also taught, we're told that we need to have friends to help us relax and recreate from the routine and the, the mundane pressures of life. We have to have some release, do we not? Because if not, we would go crazy. If not, the pressure would be too much. We need the love of friends in our lives. Again, life is more pleasant when we have those who care about us and who care about our welfare. Proverbs 17, 17 tells us, a friend loves at all times. In 1978, a band by the name of Andrew Gold released a song, and it was called, Thank You for Being a Friend. And if you look at the first verse of this particular song, it says, Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. Is that not what we want in friends? We want somebody who's with us through good times and bad. We want someone who we can talk to and feel like they are there not to judge us, but to help us, support us. Particularly Christians, 
all Christians need to stop and consider the importance of friends and the impact those friends have on our lives. Because brothers and sisters, I'm telling you this morning, and this is not anything that you don't know, just as friends can be a positive influence on our lives in times of need, they can also be a tremendous spiritual hindrance. What is some of the bad things that we might see in friends? Well, they're just like us. They're human. Humans have bad traits, do we not? Humans tend to lie. Humans tend to cheat. Humans tend to insult. Humans tend to betray. And they oftentimes tend to sin without understanding the cost. We as Christians, brothers and sisters, understand the prize that stands before us. God has promised those who are going to be obedient to him the hope and the certainty of heaven for him or for us to be with him for all eternity. And how can we allow anyone to stand in our way, in, in our path or in our journey to be with God in heaven? Think about this. Every day we look at in the news, news stories about homosexuality, about fornication, adultery, lying, cheating, stealing, murder. We live in what is very close to a modern day Corinth. And that's not an exaggeration. We live in a situation where people feel like whatever makes me feel good is fine. Think about it. The Corinths lived excessively. The desire was to have satisfaction brought to their daily lives in body, soul, and spirit. All right? They turned to food. They turned to fun. They turned to feeling good. Again, the philosophy was, if it's appetizing, eat it. And yeah, I know, we all kind of do that, right? If it's appealing, be entertained by it. And if it's enjoyable, engage in it. What's the harm? If everybody's having fun, if everybody's feeling good, if everybody's enjoying themselves, what's the harm from uh, coming from it? But brothers and sisters, you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You look at Galatians chapter 5. You look at Revelation chapter 21. And God has told us there are things that we as Christians, we are not to engage in. And if our friends drag us into that culture, if our friends drag us down those paths, we are standing in the complete opposite direction of what God wants us to be and to go. Who do your friends belong to? If you go back and look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Christ says, he that is not with me is what? Against me. There's only one of two places they can be, with Christ or against Christ. And that he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Christ is saying to us, in the great battle between good and evil, you are either with me or you're against me. There is no middle ground. We think in our lives that we can straddle this fence and be gods when we need to be, but be in this fun recreational environment when we want to be. And that's not what Christ says. We must, must believe in Jesus Christ and obey him because if we don't, we are in league with Satan. 
Nobody likes to think about that, brothers and sisters. Nobody likes to think about that I'm in league with Satan because I am in church this morning. I've been baptized. I, I try to do everything that I can to be pleasing to God, but there's just certain things I like to do. Well, brothers and sisters, the scripture says, if you're not with me, you're against me. And if you engage in those things that God says are not pleasing to him, you are engaging in things that Satan has brought to the world. We are either children of God or we're children of Satan. There's no middle ground. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not asking you this morning to give up friends who have a bad spiritual influence on you. Okay? What I'm asking you this morning is to give up the influence that they have on you. My friends... What kind of friend, knowing what you stand for, knowing your desire is to reach heaven, is going to ask you to engage in things that are diametrically opposed to God? What kind of friend are they? And if you've not shared your faith with your friend so that they know that you are not willing to do those things that God says we shall not do, what kind of friend are you? We need to understand that there is either our influence on others or others' influence on us. Which is it going to be? Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? The yoke he's talking about here is a reference to any situation where a believer would be brought under control and under the influence of an unbeliever. We can't have it happen. We're either gods or we are Satan's. And our actions, the way that we live our lives, brothers and sisters, shows the answer. Who is, child, who is God's child? Two circles that I represented here, and we've talked about these before. God, Jesus, the church, heaven, Christians, obedient, light, all things that are affiliated with heaven, all affiliated with the path that spiritual people, spiritual-minded people go down. But then we look at Satan and the world and sin and ugliness and disobedience and darkness. All of those things represent things that... Satan tries to drive us to do. Christ again says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either will, he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. We can't be obedient to two masters. We can't be obedient to God, but also obedient to Satan. We can't do those things of righteousness and also those things of unrighteousness. Christ is telling us that we've got to choose. We've got to choose to serve one master. And who is it going to be? So brothers and sisters, the question before us this morning is this. What do we seek? Do we seek the Lord or do we seek the pleasures of the world? Christ says in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God 
and His righteousness. You see, we as Christians can avoid immorality. We can do those things which are holy, that are sanctified by God if we recognize what the Holy Spirit teaches us about living a Christ-centered life through the example He gives us in Jesus Christ. James says in James chapter 4, verse 4, Ye adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? means that you're an enemy with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The point I'm trying to make is, is that when we allow our friends to drive us to an unspiritual space in our world and in our life, we are becoming enemies of God. And I don't think, if I asked the question this morning, anybody think you're an enemy of God, anybody in this audience would raise their hand. But brothers and sisters, as I said before, it's proven out by how we live our life. Jesus Christ, the example that we've been given in the Scripture, is our friend. When we talk about friend and the things that go uh, along with being a bad friend, Jesus Christ has never lied to us. Jesus Christ has never betrayed us. Jesus Christ has never led us down a path that would take us against the will of God. But what Jesus Christ has done is He's extended the hand of friendship to us. And for those who are willing to accept that hand, it's an uplifting and a transformational experience in our lives. We go from being... Uh, frustrated with the world, uh, trying to figure out why am I here, to understanding that God has provided me a path to eternal happiness and security through Jesus Christ, His Son. And that eternal path and security lands me in heaven. Today, we as Christians need a friend to sinners. Romans 6, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We sin. We sin because we oftentimes think of self before God. Jesus Christ is the friend that can bring us back, bring us back to God. There are words around which we cluster heartwarming images and ideas. Friend, again, is one of them. And while Jesus did no specific teaching on friendship, we look at him as the type of friend that we want, especially in terms of his motives. You ever wonder about people's motives towards you when they do something for you? We do, don't we? Jesus' motive was to come into the world to save the lost, of which we are all lost. Jesus came as the selfless Savior he chose the disciples because he knew he could do for them and they could do for others. It wasn't for self-promotion, but it was because of his love and his goodness. You go back and think about the eve of his crucifixion. He conferred the greatest honor that Randall read for us earlier upon his disciples when he said in John 15, 15, I have called you friends. Further, he opened the way for all of us to be, his desire, or to be his friends when he said, if you are my friends, what do you have to do? Do whatever I command of you.
Think how simple that is. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has extended the hand of friendship to all of us and said, to be my friend, simply do what I've commanded of you. Turn with me at Romans, to Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, Paul says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, and think about that word sinners for just a second, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, and enemies because we were sinners, if we sinner, if we are sinners, we are enemies with God. He says, but if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Anybody ever have friends that when life really gets rough or you really get in trouble, maybe aren't so much friends anymore? Run and hide? Jesus Christ, when we sin against God, we are, we are enemies with God. He offered the supreme sacrifice of his blood so that we might be reconciled back to God. Any friends that you know of that would give their life for you? They might say they would, but would they? Well, we don't have to test that, brothers and sisters, because we already have a friend that's done that for us. When we talk about Jesus Christ, and we talk about the week in which he came to Jerusalem, and the end of that week we know he was going to be crucified. There are several things that we see that we can gain an understanding of the type of friendship he has for us. On the night in which he was betrayed, as he broke the bread and offered the fruit of the vine to his disciples, he did so with a heavy heart knowing that one of those who was with him was going to betray him. And as we look in Matthew chapters 26 and 27 and 28, the, the events surrounding his death, we see that Judas is sitting by the Lord, and as the Lord offers him partake of the Lord's Supper, he says to Judas, what you do, do quickly. Now, it's not just that night that Jesus Christ knew that he was going to die for the sins of the world. Jesus knew that from before time began that this was the ultimate sacrifice that he was going to be asked to pay. And the whole time that he lived, the whole time he fellowshiped with Judas, he treated him as a friend, even though he was going to betray him. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm going to throw out something here that you may or may not agree with, but I'm going to suggest that every time that we sin against God, are we not betraying Jesus Christ? 
Are we not betraying what he has given to us, what he's offered up to us, what he has told us is ours if we would just take it? Jesus says to Judas, what you do, do quickly. As he begins to talk about the events that are going to lead up to his death, Peter, which we could probably justifiably say was his best friend at that point, Peter says, oh no, they're not going to take you, and certainly they're not going to kill you. I, I, Peter, will die for you. And Jesus looks at him and says, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. And not only does he tell Peter that you're going to deny me three times, his love for Peter is so strong that he says, Peter, when you come back to me, lead my flock. What happens? They go to the garden, Christ prays, he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples that are there with him, but then he also offers up prayers in John 17 for all of the disciples that will ever live, that we would be saved from the world, not influenced by the world, but be his people. And as he stands in that garden, pitch black of night, he sees in the distance legions of soldiers coming to partake or to partake, take him away. And at the time that the soldiers come, Judas betrays him with a kiss. A skirmish occurs between Peter and the, 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 one of the soldiers. They all scatter. All that were there with him scatter, who were his friends. And he's taken away alone into the court. He's cursed. He's called a liar. Multitudes of people are brought and lie about him. The Jewish people who he has come to save, when offered the Jesus or Barabbas, they said, release Barabbas. And when Pilate says, what do I do with Jesus Christ? They say, crucify him. For what? For trying to save them? For trying to help them understand that the path that they were on to God was wrong? But then we get to the point where they yell, crucify him. And Pilate turns him over, and we're told that Jesus Christ is scourged. And I've preached this sermon before. It's been about two years ago. I don't know that we understand necessarily what scourged means. It talks about that the prisoner is stripped of his clothing and his hands are tied to a post above his head. The Jews had an ancient law prohibiting that he, was, that he could be hit any more than 40 times with, or 40 lashes. So the Romans always observed it by only doing 39. Then they take this short whip and there are leather straps at the end of that whip. And within those straps, they take bone, they take metal, any type of sharp object that could cause damage to the body, and they begin tying it to the end of those leather tongs. And then, with that heavy whip, they begin beating 
with the full force. And these men are not weaklings. These are the soldiers of the Roman army beating upon Jesus. Thirty-nine lashes. Oh, at first, it just starts to bruise. And then as you continue to hit him, it begins to start breaking the skin. And as you start getting into 15 and 20 and 25 and 30 lashes, the skin starts to tear away. Blood starts streaming profusely from the body. And as they start getting into 30 and 35 and 39 lashes, the actual muscle and tendons and all the internal elements of the body start stripping away and just hanging there. Oh, but we're not done with him. As the blows continue, the blood continues to flow. And the 39 hits, brothers and sisters, aren't fast. They take their time so there will be the worst of the effects. And then after they're done, they take a crown of thorns and they don't gently lay it on top of his head. They cram it down on the Lord our God's head where it penetrates and blood starts coming from his forehead. And then we ask him to take that cross, the weight of that cross of which he's going to be crucified and carry it to the top of Golgotha. Never mind the fact that these individuals barely have any strength left. And then they begin to nail his hands into that cross. One in each hand, and then the nails in his feet. And as he's up on that cross, the only way that he can breathe is to pull up from the weight of those spikes. To breathe and to exhale, he has to let himself back down. After again, he's already been beaten to the point of death. Behold the Son of God. The passages say in the final moments, he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And those standing at the foot of the cross say, let's see who's going to come. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Other passages tell us some of the other final words that Jesus said at that moment. He cries out with a loud spirit and yields up his spirit. He cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And in John chapter 19, verse 30, it says, Christ cries out, it is finished. And in bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And then as they go to take down the bodies, they ram the spear into his side to ensure that he's dead. And we're told that water and blood come streaming out on the ground. Brothers and sisters, when we talk about loyalty, when we talk about friendship, when we talk about willing to do anything for us, we need look no further than Jesus Christ. 
Terry led a song before the sermon that was what a friend we have in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if you don't understand the type of friend that Jesus Christ is to you this morning, then I don't know what's going to help you. And if you don't understand the loyalty and the love that he has for you this morning, I don't know what will help you. Friends on this earth are wonderful. They help us through a lot of things. But brothers and sisters, it's the friendship of Jesus Christ that's going to help us go home to heaven. Are you his friend this morning? Have you immersed yourself in the waters of baptism, taking a benefit of the blood that he shed for us? If you've not, the opportunity awaits you this morning. And if you're a child of God, and the life that you lead is such that you can't say no to the allurements of the world and yes to Jesus Christ, I beg of you to come forward this morning and let us pray for you. Let us pray with you. You know, one of the saddest things I've ever heard of people is, I needed to come forward, I wanted to come forward, but I was afraid what people were going to think. You know what? Who cares? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, nobody is going to judge you Everybody here is going to love you and do anything they can to help you as you walk in your life for God. Do you have needs this morning? If you do, please come as we stand and sing.
Please be seated. 